0: a toolkit for women farmers. The In Her Boots podcast celebrates the collaborative spirit of us women farmers and all women working to transform our food system and steward our land, sharing ideas and inspiration with each other. Whether you're a woman with a dream of starting your own farm or already have your hands deep in the soil, there's something for you here. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss anything. We are back and digging deeper in with Alicia Rosby of Woolly Time Microfarm, as she continues to share how she manages risk through diversification. Don't put all your eggs in one basket is a strategy that has worked well for Alicia, especially during those beginning CSA years to provide a full weekly delivery to members. Hear about her strategy for interplanting to always thinking about those just-in-case moments. Alicia Rosby is the owner and operator of Woolly Time Microfarm in Stevens Point, Wisconsin. A two acre farm that specializes in CSA, halal butchered poultry, jams and chutneys, and home baked goods. She serves as president of the Wood Portage Wapeca County Chapter of the Wisconsin Farmers Union and is a graduate of the National Farmers Union Beginning Farmer Institute. We are here again with Alicia Razvi talking about her farm, Woolly Time Micro Farm, and all the things that you have going on there. You are diversified in so many ways between the vegetables and your chickens and the cottage food products. And all of that really adds up to a smart business strategy, right? Especially when we talk about managing risk on our farm, it's not having all of our eggs in one basket. But how did you come to that idea? Because you were pretty diversified from the start, right? You sort of
1: Right, so we um, were handed that piece of advice uh, right from the very beginning before we had gotten into our very first CSA season. Um, that was part of my sustainable farming course uh, that I had taken, um, and the idea to that if your kale fails, you still have carrots and peas and tomatoes and peppers. Um, that metaphor or that l- very literal um example um stands up across the board and um so we were able to see that very clearly in our CSA season uh we have sustained failures that we weren't expecting and uh just we're lucky then that we had other you know kind of like tricks up our sleeve a little bit um There were moments in that first year of farming that we were stressed that we didn't have enough even to put enough food into our 10 customers' bags for those 10 weeks. Um, So then we started to kind of strengthen that diversification ourselves. Um, So for us, diversification can mean growing five different types of tomatoes instead of two. Um, It can mean planting, interplanting our radish and carrots so we've got something coming up from the same spot pretty much all season long um or you're doing all this on two acres so yes yes when you manage risk it's still on a
0: small scale it's manageable that's what's so interesting yes you can you can do it on any size we're not it's not a big farm management strategy by any means right
1: not at all no we um are we probably have to use uh the the jams, jellies, and baked goods in a risk management or mitigated risk way that larger scale farms don't. Um in a because, good way. Yes. Yes. I think it, it's a strength, but we live on two acres. So our area in production is actually like a quarter acre. Oh, wow. Okay. So yeah. <laughs> so it's um, definitely uh, succession planting and um, we... Uh, are constantly thinking about other things that we can do to add to those baskets for the just-in-case moments. Um, As an example, last year we went away to a family wedding um, and were gone for a chunk of time from the farm, um, had come back and received 11 inches of rain in the time that we were gone for this wedding, and all of our cherry tomatoes uh, popped because they are not under, um, a high tunnel there. Everything is on, out on the fields at our house. And, um, all of a sudden we had no cherry tomatoes and we, it was something that everybody expects in a CSA bag. Um, that's, that's a thing. So everybody got a half a dozen eggs that week instead. And, um, those are the types of little ideas that you just kind of come up with Out of desperation. Yeah, (laughs)
0: sometimes. (laughs) Desperation can lead to some creativity there. Were there ever things you tried on a whim on a small scale that? Blew up in ways you didn't expect?
1: Um uh, so we tried uh yes, we try a lot of different things on the small scale. Um, the Mexican sour gherkin or those little cucamelons, uh, depends on what you call them. They're tiny little vining cucumbers, the si- they but they look like a watermelon. Um What are those called? Yeah? Well, it, it depends where who you buy them from. I think High Mowing calls them uh, Mexican sour gherkins. Huh. And then um you know, if you get your seeds from just a, a department store, I think they're called cucamelons, but they're vining tiny cucumbers. And,
0: and you use it like a fresh cucumber yeah, or you could pickle yep. them too?
1: Or I suppose you could pickle them, but they never last that long. Kids love them. It, it's one of those um, fun foods that you can, you know, get a kid to eat and just really enjoy and eat their vegetables, but have fun with it. And um, so, Two years ago, we had crazy amounts of cucamelons and uh, we were trying to figure out how to uh, <laughs> give them away but also enjoy them for ourselves. And then then what do you do with the, all the rest of them that we had? And so last year, uh, we had expectations coming in from some of our return customers that we would have another crazy cucamelon year. And we had barely enough for my own kids to eat the um eat them. And we would tell them, like, don't eat the cucamelons. <laughs> Those cucamelons are for the customers. Or we kept um, some on vines as long as we could, because at the end of every season, we celebrate with a um, what we call the Shabarbecue. It, my husband's name is Shabar. It's a, um, a play on his name uh, where we make um, a community meal for everybody. And um, so... When we opened the farm up to the community, we made sure that we had enough cucamelons. For... <laughs> <laughs> Something legendary, yes. <laughs> but um, we have tried oh, okra, and we've tried sweet corn, and we've tried um, ground cherries, and you know nothing that's too strange or off the cuff, but just stuff that um, is, a, is a new taste for different people. Um we send out a, a newsletter with every CSA bag, but in the past when we have sent out lemon, cucumbers, um small... Those always throw people. <laughs> yes, yes. I was getting so many questions about what is this thing and how do I eat it? And, well, if you would read your newsletter, <laughs> it's listed. <laughs> so so we, we just enjoy planting food so much that if it's something that looks like it would be fun uh, to grow or for our kids to harvest and get involved in, we try it.
0: Fabulous. And you also take that risk management strategy on a seasonal level too, right? With the winter markets and having different things going on at different times of the year.
1: Absolutely. yes. Yeah. So um, we realized that um, the the CSA farm was doing all right. Um But with our scale, it was um, doing all it could. And we were still ending up um, either breaking even or in loss uh, each year, just because we were trying to grow our farm as well at the same time. And um, being able to sell during the CSA season and sell those shares and then um, sell in the winter season and sell weekly, we are actually making as much money in the winter as we do with our CSA in the summer. And um, so it's a doubled... Wow, that's amazing.
0: Yeah. I mean, the winter markets have been a real game changer for small farms. It's
1: absolutely a game changer for us. That's exactly what it is. And how how would you
0: describe like the winter market customer? Because it is a different feel, right? Yes. Yeah, so a different...
1: I've never been a summer farmer's market um, booth person. I've only been a customer. Um, but what I notice is that people are more interested in the winter for those specialty products. Uh, they're willing, very willing to pay minimums of $5 per pint of jam, a half pint of jam. Um, you know, the, the price points on the cookies and the pop tarts and the macarons can be higher because they are there as buying something that is a specialty item. Um, what I do notice from the customer standpoint is in the summertime, when you're going to a market, you are expecting to come away with a full bag of groceries for fifteen dollars, and um, that's not what's happening at the winter market. So it's I'm not sure if it's a change of customer or if it's a change of expectation, but um, that's a really good point too, because nobody's
0: expecting to do their fresh vegetable shopping at a winter market, correct. at least in the Midwest. Yes, <laughs> uh, but I find too that winter markets are also very social. Yes. In that yes. people are getting out and they yep. want to see people and they miss the summer markets. And, yes. and, and this is kind of what you got, but it's still of interest. And yeah. to your point, that makes sense that they would be willing to pay a premium there. Mm-hmm. And you've got a really smart strategy there to to use and embrace both ends of the summer and the fresh and the growing side. Mm-hmm. And then the the winter... Where you could get more of a premium for some things. It keeps the season a bit longer, right? I mean, right. your year is busy, but yep. there's a financial reward.
1: Absolutely, yes. And um, your point about the winter market being a social event is true for the, the people who come and, and the people and the farmers who are selling. I mean, that is. I I tried the farmer's market this winter for just mental health. (laughs) I just wanted to get out and be around people every Saturday. I thought that this on a consistent basis would be a great thing, even if it did not, even if it flopped, even if it did not produce a profit. And it's just been wonderful. Um, And it has been the opposite. We've come away doing quite well each week, but um, that's what it is. People, we, we, put up a couple of community tables and people sit around and talk and laugh and kids run around and it's just, is just beautiful. So it's great.
0: That's great. And it seems to, in most, like a mid-range city, like you're at at Stevens Point has something going on, much less urban centers. It's, it's a challenge because right. new markets are hard to start, period. Much less winter markets are still out of the, you're getting your harder core people, your dedicated yes. people who are coming out yep. for that. But it is, it is great to see. So for your canned items, do you make most of those then throughout the summer when when things are in abundance and kind of stack up? And then that's what you sell through the winter?
1: So I uh, do two different things, I um, depending on the item. So uh, grapes don't freeze very well. So I make my grape jam when I pick my grapes. Um, strawberries freeze pretty well. So I make my strawberry jam as I need it um, after I have... F- Picked in June or July and then frozen by the quart. um, all of my berries. So it just really depends on the item and, um, yeah, it's worked very well. It has the, I then am making the jams like a week or two weeks or three weeks before they're actually being sold. Um, and, um, the, the flavor is really great. And, um, the color is really great as well. So it works depending on the the uh, produce. I, I just do things differently. So yeah,
0: yeah. Are there some new things on the horizon you want to try? Or
1: you... Um We uh, need to expand our chutneys. Right now we have um, a mango chutney, um, a cranberry chutney, and a tomato chutney. One is mango is sweet, cranberry is tart, and tomato is spicy. Um, and... We have developed enough of a customer base now that um, they're getting hungry for something more and exciting and wonder wonderful. So, um, I have been experimenting with um, rhubarb chutney and Meyer lemon chutney. Um, talking about um, other like peach and um, local fruits that we can we have in abundance in our area. Um, so, it just I haven't found the qu- quite the right fit yet. So. <laughs>
0: Like, as we were saying earlier, when we talked about cottage food, just don't make anything you don't want to eat yourself. And the worst thing is you're just experimenting and testing. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) Terrific. Thank you. Thanks for listening to our In Her Boots podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Kiverest with the Moses In Her Boots Project. This episode's audio engineer was Liam Kiverest of techsocket.net. The podcast was brought to you by the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, Moses. The mission of Moses is to educate, inspire, and empower farmers to thrive in a sustainable organic system of agriculture. For more information on Moses, in her boots, and a bounty of organic resources, check out mosesorganic.org.